fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Lent, everybody. It's Ash Wednesday. It's The Kale Clark Show, the first one of this liturgical season. I'm really excited about this. And you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. And I want to ask you this question. What's the best Lent that you've ever had? We want to make this year, 2023, the best Lent ever. But what's the best Lent that you've ever had, and why was it so great? We can all learn from your experiences. You can call in right now, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program. It's great to hear from you. I I get a lot of messages from you guys, and I really do appreciate it. And any show ideas that you have for me, I'm all ears or questions that you might have. It's great to hear from you. Appreciate the encouragement. Kale, C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com is the email address. And you can also find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E Clark with an E. You know, also, not only is it Ash Wednesday, but on this day, 43 years ago, a miracle took place in the United States. Not the kind that maybe you think I'm talking about, but nonetheless, it was pretty good one and you probably remember exactly where you were when this happened i'll talk about that later in the program but in light of the fact that it's ash wednesday i wanted to talk about what we hear when we go to an ash wednesday mass and it's it's a great thing and i I, my heart is always warmed when people show up it's and it's not even a holy day of obligation but people do go to Mass on Ash Wednesday in droves, and a lot of even non-Catholics are attracted to go because anybody, anybody can come into a Catholic parish and receive ashes on their forehead if they want uh, during uh, this particular day and the celebrations that happen. Because we have to remember that we are dust, and unto dust we shall return, as is said uh, to us when the, the priest or the minister puts the ashes on our forehead and you might get the smudge you might get what they call father's revenge like just a massive cross on your forehead but uh, hey wear it with pride right and uh, if if people always ask should i should i wipe off the ashes after mass my 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 answer to that is always it depends if if you're if, if you're kind of embarrassed by it then you should definitely keep them you should definitely keep them you should never be embarrassed by the gospel but if you're if you love having that huge cross on your forehead and you kind of just want to show your spirituality to people, then eh, you wanna, might want to consider maybe. I, I don't know. It, your mileage may vary, and you can uh, tell me what you think about that. But 888 is the number to call in. So remember that you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. And then the second part of that, which is not, sometimes they don't say this because there's a lot of people online and you need to take a lot of time, but... The second part of the of the formula, if you will, is repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. So make a 180. Uh, do a spiritual turnaround. That's what we've got to try to do in Lent. And somebody who's really helped a lot of people, I would say millions of people, to do exactly that is one of the media nuns, a daughter of St. Paul, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. And she's a former atheist, and her, her conversion story was, uh, and her, her ministry was actually written about in the New York Times uh, not long ago. I'll talk about that, time permitting. And she's really popularized or really gotten people back into this spiritual practice called memento mori. 
And, I, and I, when I Googled this today, I, I, apparently the latest Depeche Mode album and tour is called Memento Mori, but it's got nothing to do with that. I, I don't know if the tunes are any good or not. I have no idea. But they're apparently making a comeback. Um, well, I don't know about Depeche Mode, but we definitely need to go into Lenten Mode. And one of the best ways to do that is with Memento Mori, which simply means, it's Latin for remember your death, remember the day of your death. And so she's uh, really sparked interest in this online over the past few years uh, with her Twitter account and with all kinds of stuff on social media. She's written some books, devotionals. There's the daughters put out all kinds of stickers and items of clothing, hats, t-shirts with pictures of a skull. And, and that, of course, is a reference to the fact that uh, a lot of saints were in the habit, including St. Jerome, of putting a skull on their desk to remind them of their death. And I remember one writer saying that uh, this guy was married. He wasn't a, a member of a religious community, but he found out that a lot of the saints used to do this as well. They used to, a lot of these monks and nuns would actually use the coffin that they were going to be buried in one day, kind of as their desk or, you know, as a, as a table in their home of some sort. And, uh, invite people over for coffee. Oh, yeah, here, we'll serve you uh, on this coffin. It's not a coffee table. It's a coffin table. And he tried to get his wife to sign off on, can we have this in our house? And she said, absolutely not. So, but having a skull on the desk was, uh, was certainly a, an accepted practice. Uh, for a lot of saints. And so Sister Teresa Althea Noble, she wrote uh, a devotional for Lent called, you guessed it, Memento Mori, Remember Your Death. And I actually picked up a copy back in 2019. And my plan was I was going to read it during Lent and use it for my daily spiritual practice. And I must confess, I didn't do it. So Sister Teresa, if you're listening, I apologize. But guess what? I'm going to make it up to you now. I'm actually going to use it this Lent, and there's no better day to start. You know, we can actually kind of do this together. So I, I think you should pick this up. Maybe it's something we can do together on the show. I, I, the idea just kind of came to me today. But I'll get maybe Producer Jim to put a, put a link to it, um, probably from the Daughters website. That'd be great. We need to, we need to throw them some, some business because it's tough. It's, it's tough surviving in the publishing industry. And, and the Daughters, actually, they had a huge presence in Chicago. But I, I read something recently that the Daughters of St. Paul, unfortunately, they had to close their bookstore, which was very close to Millennium Park, The Bean. Uh, if you've been to Chicago, you know what I'm talking about. And they had a really historic location. Apparently, it used to be, I think there was a barber shop there before that Muhammad Ali got his haircut there. It was all the you know, political figures would come there. Richard Daly would get his haircut there, the mayor of Chicago. Anyway, so uh, they had a bookstore there, Pauline Books and Media. They had uh, a bunch of nuns living upstairs. Uh, in, in sort of their quarters, and unfortunately, they had to kind of shut it down. And they're still operational in a lot of cities. I think St. Louis, um, not sure where else, but uh, they have actually a, a really nice location in, in Toronto, not far from where I live. But anyway, so that's all background to to the work itself. And I just thought I'd share with you the entry for today for Ash Wednesday, in the hopes that it might uh, be inspiring to you spiritually. And she starts off by saying this. This is a great way to start off a book. She says, you are going to die. <laughs> and a lot of people don't want to think about death. They don't want to remember this. They, they want to forget all of that stuff. And a lot of what we do in life, I think, I'm, I'm convinced of this. It's just an effort to try to make ourselves forget that we are going to die. And whether that's trying to pull the Tom Brady TB12 method and, and try to extend our lives as much as possible and 
Hey, and there's nothing wrong with that. We should try to get an optimal health. We should, I'm not saying, I'm not endorsing his methods per se, but we need to be there for those who love us. We need to be there for God so we, we can be more effective in the kingdom for as long as possible, as long as he wants us here. We want to reach as many souls as we can. That's why we do what we do at Relevant Radio. We want to bring Christ to the world through the media. So, hey, I am all for growing the pie. The more souls we can reach, the better. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. But a lot of what we do, whether it's trying to obtain the body beautiful or trying to distract ourselves with gadgets, toys, entertainments, social media scrolling, it's like a Vegas casino. There's a reason why when you scroll on your phone, you just want to keep going. It's like a slot machine with its symbols. You're you're hoping to get triple sevens and, and you're hoping something good will come up on your feed, but it's very addictive and... As you know, or at least you should know, you should be aware of this, and Cal Newport, the author of Deep Work, talks about this digital minimalism. Uh, he has a great TED Talk. It's really short. Maybe you can check this out for land if you've decided to maybe give up or draw back a little bit from social media. For heaven's sake, don't quit relevant radio. But uh, you do need to, maybe, maybe, depending on where you're at, you might want to dial back your social media usage a little bit. Uh, but check out his TED Talk. Go on social media, check out his TED Talk, and then go off of it. So uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's it's called Quit Social Media, and it's really short. It's not even 15 minutes long, I don't think. But he, he explains sort of the drawbacks to social media. And it can do a great good as well. We can use it to reach people with the gospel for sure. There, it's the digital continent, as Pope Benedict said. Uh, there are millions, if not billions, of people out there that need to be reached. But it's not always helpful for us personally, depending on how we're using it and maybe misusing it. But at any rate, he talks about how when Facebook got started, uh, Twitter, other companies, they consulted with experts in Las Vegas who are in the gaming industry about how they could make these things, these services more addictive. And scrolling is straight out of the slot machines. So that, that's where it comes from. At any rate, there are all kinds of things that people do to try to distract themselves from, from life, from reality, from the part of life that's called death, the the and at funeral masses, I don't know, I don't know if the translation is still the same. I haven't, I haven't been to one, mercifully, in, in a little while. But uh, there used to be a line in the uh, funeral liturgy: "Life has not changed." It or sorry, life has not ended. It's simply changed. You're just changing locations, if you will, and that that's certainly true. But when it comes to bodily life, a lot of people want it to go on forever. So this this idea that you are going to die is a needed uh, cold water bath. It's it's a needed um, slap in the face, if you will. And she says this, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble says this, that St. Augustine, in his famous work, The City of God, this is how he talked about death, St. Augustine. He called it, quote, the very violence with which body and soul are wrenched asunder. End of quote. Oof. That's uh, something that, <laughs> it's no wonder that people don't want to think about it. But, as Sister Teresa writes, ignoring death is not going to make it go away. It might even actually increase your anxiety about it because of the fact that we don't know when it's going to happen. And that's why in the Hail Mary, the, those two times, now and at the hour of our death, are so crucial for us. Those are the two most important times of our life, now because really the present moment is the only moment that we have. The past is gone. We've got to leave it to God's mercy. The future isn't here yet. We have to trust God's providence in that. But 
But now is the time. St. Paul says, I'm telling you, now is the day of salvation. And that's certainly something that we need to pay heed to on Ash Wednesday. And we don't know when that moment is for us, when we're going to draw our last breath. Only God does. So we've got to prepare for it well. We've got to make sure that we're ready for it. And so this memento mori craze, if you will, and I think it's a good craze. I'm glad it's happening. It did not start with her. It didn't even start with the saints in the Middle Ages. It actually goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, the first sin. What does God say to Adam and Eve? You are dust, and to dust you shall return, Genesis 3.19. That's where those words come from in the Ash Wednesday liturgy. And so this this continues on throughout the scriptures, because as soon as sin is in the world, death is in the world. St. Paul will write to the Romans, the wages of sin is death. And that's the price that we all have to pay, uh, even if we're, we've been forgiven, even if we're in a state of grace. But we can avoid sin, or try to, as, as best we can with God's help. In the book of Sirach, in uh, chapter 7, verse 36, it says this, The wisdom of Ben Sirach, the son of Sirach. In whatever you do, remember your last days, and you will never sin. So that's, that's, a, that's an important thing to note. That's a good promise, too. If we remember our last day, we will never sin. And, and, and in, this, um, in this book, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit tomorrow, actually, uh, on the Faith Explained program. She kind of offers a, Sister Teresa offers a, an examination of conscience at the end of the night, nightly examine, kind of based off of this idea of memento mori. And one of the things that she says is that you should try to picture yourself at the end of your life, on your deathbed, in light of what you're doing today, what you did today, uh, the ways that God loved you today, the ways that maybe you loved your, your family, friends, your neighbors, loved God, loved people, or the ways maybe we came up short on that front, and how that's going to play into your last day. How is that, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, how is that going to factor into your readiness uh, for eternity? It's an interesting thought. So Jesus says this in Luke 9.23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, where was he ultimately headed? He was going to Golgotha, which is called, what? The place of the skull. So this idea of the skull, remember your death, it's very important. Now, even if you're not religious, and Sister Teresa says this in her book, even if you're not religious, there's ways that you can really benefit from, from this because just understanding the fact that death is coming and, and that ultimately has to affect how we live each day. It should make us live in a much more joyful manner, in a much more focused manner, in a more fruitful manner. This can really help anybody, but for us, especially as Catholic Christians, we understand that this extends beyond earthly life and bodily death even, because there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be an eternal resurrection, a new heaven, a new earth. Don't ask me what that's going to look like. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the mind of human beings what God has prepared for those who love him. But it's a great promise, isn't it? So God's grace has to be absolutely crucial. And Jesus has defeated death through his powerful resurrection on Easter Sunday. It's what we're preparing for in this season of Lent. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. I'd love to hear what your best Lent ever was like. What did you do? 
Any tips you'd give our listeners? 888-914-9149. And here's the thing, too. In in light of what Christ has done for us, I'm going to throw you a quote from Sister Teresa. She says, quote, Jesus has defeated humanity's greatest foe, permanent death in sin. All that remains for us to endure is bodily death. Okay, so that's all that's left, bodily death? It still sounds pretty bad, but... All that remains for us to endure is bodily death, but Jesus has transformed even this fearsome reality into the doorway to heaven. In dying, we are born to eternal life. (laughs) The the words of the prayer of St. Francis. That's the way in. That's the way in. And so the cross and the resurrection transform it all. As St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, that, that beautiful chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O grave, is your sting? So we don't need to be afraid of death. And the devil kept, as scripture says, the devil kept people in bondage since time immemorial because of the fear of death. But we don't need to fear it anymore because of Christ. I'm kind of reminded, though, of the, the words of comedian Jerry Seinfeld. He said, I'm not afraid of death. It's the dying part that scares the heck out of me. I don't want the experience of it, but it's something, of course, that, that we can offer up as well. And, and theologians used to debate about whether or not Our Lady actually tasted death. Of course, we believe that she was assumed into heaven, body, and soul. It's one of the dogmas of the Church, the Assumption. But when Pope Pius XII defined the dogma of the Assumption in 1950, he, he was very, very careful in the theological definition when he put out that that papal uh, formula it, it doesn't actually say whether or not mary died it just says at the end of her earthly journey or something to that effect because theologians were split on it because they thought well she doesn't really need to die because she was preserved from all stain of original sin the immaculate conception and we hold that she didn't commit any actual sins either but a lot of other theologians said well guess what we think that she did die because not that she had to because the wages of sin is death She didn't have any, but she wanted to be united in the death of her son. She wanted to experience what he did and follow him as his perfect disciple. She is the church at the source. She is the first disciple, the first Christian. She wanted to perfectly follow him even in this. Wow, it's uh, pretty profound to, to think about. But So he asked her to pray for us. And so all of this is kind of in the background as we look into Lent. And so when we come back from the break, we're going to just do a little devotion with you for Ash Wednesday. I want to hear about your experiences as well of Lent. What was your best Lent ever? 888-914-9149, but lots of other fun. And I know you're not supposed to be having any treats in Lent, but I've got a special treat for you later in the show as well. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show, only on Relevant Radio. Be right back. the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program, 888 is the number to call to talk to me for free on Relevant Radio. It's the Kale Clark Show. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. But once again, the phone number, 888 914 
9149. It's a little Coldplay coming in from the break. I actually had to hold producer Jim back. He, he so wanted to press the button. He so wanted to play The Memory Remains by Metallica as our intro music. But I thought it might be a little bit edgy for, for relevant radio. I, I'm not sure, but um, I might have got a call from Father Rocky if that was the case. But but having said that, actually, Father Rocky did text me just, just a moment ago, Jim. Did you know that? He... He he was he said this. He's, and it's always it's always kind of nerve wracking when you get a text from the CEO during the show. I hate the show. No, he didn't say. He said he said forty three years ago there was a miracle. Nice tease. I, I can, hey well I, I will I, I don't want to tease anybody here. We will reveal what this was. A miracle took place in the United States, but it's not what you think. Forty three years ago, on this day, some of you might know what I mean. And uh, if you do, just keep it to yourself for now. Don't spoil the surprise. But before we get there, I do want to talk a little bit about Ash Wednesday and Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, daughter of St. Paul, uh, just, a, just a great media nun. They do such a great work with the media, as we try to do also at Relevant Radio, bringing Christ to the world through the media. And, and speaking of media and bringing Christ to the world, and speaking of Father Rocky, don't forget to stay. keep it locked here to Relevant Radio all night. Trending with Tim Reese coming up after this. But Father Rocky is at Ave Maria University right now as we speak, and he's going to be broadcasting live the Family Rosary Across America at Ave Maria in their beautiful chapel. He's going to be joined by Bishop Frank DeWayne. And I know, I know Bishop DeWayne because my parents uh, spent a lot of time in Florida during the wintertime, and they're kind of in his Diocese of Venice. So... Uh, hey, there's a Venice in Italy, but there's a pretty cool one in Florida, too. And Bishop Dwayne is going to join Father Rocky at Ave Maria. It's going to be fantastic. Do not miss this. There'll be streaming video, and of course, you can listen on the Relevant Radio app and our website, too. But on this Ash Wednesday, obviously, this concept of memento mori is crucial, remembering the day of our death. And it begins, of course, with the imposition of ashes uh, during the Ash Wednesday liturgy. And we, co- we come back once again to those words from Genesis 3.19. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And in her devotional, Memento Mori, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble says, quote, From the very beginning of salvation history, these words ring out as bells toll before a funeral mass. Humans are but mortals, mere creatures. God is not some being in the universe that comes into existence, but existence itself. Every person has life only because God is life. That's an important thing to remember. God is love. We know that. Deus caritas est. Uh, titled one of the great encyclicals by Pope Benedict. But God is also life. Life itself. She goes on to say, quote, Ash Wednesday is a reminder that humanity needs a savior because we are but dust and ashes. We need a Savior because the only person who could save us from death is the one who gave us life in the first place, Jesus Christ, who is life itself. He is our last and our only hope. So again, death has been transformed by Jesus Christ. And we have to, we have to really grab hold of this concept that it's not in the general that, that death has not been transformed in the general by Jesus Christ. Our own personal death has been transformed by Jesus Christ. This is what we have to remember. And I, I recall that 
when I came back into the Catholic Church, I'm a revert to the faith, one of the things I had to do was make a good confession with a Catholic priest. I had to, it was, it was a little easier for me because I grew up Catholic, I was a cradle Catholic, left the church, became an agnostic, became a Protestant minister, came back, it was a winding road. But because I was a baptized Catholic, a confirmed Catholic, it was relatively easy, so to speak, for me to get back. What I had to do is recite the creed in the presence of this priest who, who helped me greatly. Father Tom, appreciate you. And uh, I had to, of course, make a good confession. And, and you know, we got talking, Father Tom and I, about a lot of different things. And, and at the time, I, I was single. And, of course, he would ask me, hey, have you ever considered the priesthood? And, and I said, well, I think you know, God has called me to be, to be a husband and father. That's always been my thought. And at the time, he kind of shocked me. He said, well, if you wouldn't make a good husband and father, we wouldn't want you in the first place. He was the rector of, uh, of the seminary at the time in, in Toronto, St. Augustine Seminary. And I thought that was really interesting. But, and then we started talking about marriage. And one of the things that he said was that, hey, if you are called to marriage, you're not called to marriage in the general. You're called to marry a specific person. In my case, Patricia. And one of the great lines in all of Scripture is in the book of Tobit, when the angel says to Tobias, Do not be afraid to take Sarah as your wife, for she was destined for you from all eternity. So beautiful. And so God has a specific person in mind uh, for us who are called to this vocation to help each other become saints. That's what the journey is all about. I have to help her become a saint. She has to help me. And the same is true when it comes to our death. We have to understand that this is not a general thing, this Christian life, this Catholic Christian life that we're called to, that Jesus died for me, as St. Paul says in one of his letters. The Son of God gave himself for me. And think about the sun shining on a, on a beautiful meadow. You're the individual blade of grass. And if you were the only blade of grass that was growing in that field, the sun would still shine upon you. Jesus would have died for you, but it has to become personal for you. And you have to understand that. And so Sister Teresa says, quote, this memento mori is not an abstract idea. It's personal. It's concrete. Remembering death for the Christian is absolutely inseparable from remembering what Jesus has done for each one of us. But, it, but it's not easy. It's not easy to meditate on this. It's not easy to think about it. And she suggests really adding memento mori, remembering our death, into these traditional practices of Lent, fasting, penance, almsgiving, prayer, penance, almsgiving, but also this idea of memento mori. And, and if we do this, it helps us to deny ourselves because, we, as Jesus says, we have to take up our cross every single day. It's, it's like it's accepting a little death to our own will, to the way that we want things to be. And that's a great mortification in and of itself to allow the others to have their way during Lent, whether it be, hey, what do you want to watch or what would you like to eat, to do what the others want and to subjugate your own desires. Little things that we can do in a practical way to serve other people. And I think it's probably good to, to, to close with, with this. And uh, this is the quote that she provides from the great St. Ambrose, who is St. Augustine's teacher, um, kind of the director of his RCIA program, if you will, and and as I mentioned yesterday, even St. Augustine had, when he converted, it wasn't like he became a canonizable saint overnight. He still had to overcome himself. He still had to overcome a lot of his sinful ways. And uh, many of you know that 
before he came back into the Catholic Church, St. Augustine had done everything from joining a cult called the Manichees at one point uh, to fathering a child out of wedlock. He had a mistress, and tragically his son died when he was 16 years old. That's what happened to him. And uh, Augustine put away the mistress when he got serious about his faith, but then he took on another mistress when he was in the RCIA class. And he said, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. Uh, that's not the right attitude that we want during this Lent. Uh, rather, we want what he said when he said in the Confessions, You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But here's a quote from St. Ambrose, who's also, by the way, a doctor of the Church. It's, it's amazing that Ambrose and Augustine and Monica, of course, the saintly mother of Augustine, they all became canonized saints. It's a beautiful story. But St. Ambrose said in a work that was called On the Death of Satyrus, he said, quote, Death is not to be mourned over. First, because it is common and due to all. Next, because it frees us from the miseries of this life. I want to stop there just for one second. That, that's a good point. A lot of people want to live forever. They like to you know, cyrogenically freeze themselves. But would you really want that? Would you really want to live this life in a corruptible body forever, in, in, in a world that's been corrupted by sin? There's still obviously a lot of good. It's still God's world. God is on the loose in this world. There's so much grace. But would you really want to live this way forever? It's freeing us from the miseries of this life. Now, of course, we do want eternal life in a resurrected body, new heavens and new earth. Yes, yeah, sign me up. But we wouldn't want to remain in this state forever. St. Ambrose goes on to say, and lastly, because in the, likeliness, sorry, in the likeness of sleep, we are at rest from the toils of this world. What grief is there that the grace of the resurrection does not console? Death is a gain and life a penalty. <laughs> so that St. Paul says, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is Christ but the death of the body, the breath of life? And so, let us die with him so that we may live with him. Let there be in us a daily practice and inclination to dying. By this separation from bodily desires, our soul will learn to withdraw itself and to be placed on high where earthly lusts cannot approach and attach themselves. Our soul takes the likeness of death upon herself so that she may not incur the penalty of death. I love that. That's an absolute uh, gem from St. Ambrose. And so, in the likeness of sleep, he says, we are at rest from the toils of this world. And that's why every day is like a miniature, it's like a microcosm of life itself. At the end of the day, we have to go to sleep. And that is a sneak preview, of course, of that final rest. Uh, but we need to make that an active part of our everyday life. St. Jose Maria always used to say that you'll be much more effective in life if you think about your death. That's why it's an, uh, maybe a good thing to do in your morning prayer before the day gets going to think about your death as part of your prayer during Lent because that'll put the rest of the day into a great perspective. <laughs> as another writer in a different context, Stephen Covey, the management guru, says, hey, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And that's what we should do always, uh, every day, as Catholics, especially during Lent, you're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine is the number to call. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. We'll be right back 
with that miracle that I promised you right after this. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Uh, the Invisible Touch. Maybe you felt like an invisible touch when you got the ashes on your forehead today. It's Ash Wednesday. Welcome back to The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Well, as I said off the top, today is also the anniversary of a pretty important miracle on American soil. And I'm talking about the miracle on ice, which I guess was a spiritual experience for a lot of people. When the U.S. Olympic hockey team shocked the world by beating the invincible, the seemingly invincible Russians. There were actually Russians. There were the Soviets, USSR, in the 1980 Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. And we all remember the famous ad-libbed call from Al Michaels at the end of the game. Here it is. Justin over to Ramsey. The Yelechinov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. How iconic. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! It all sounds so young back then. I guess he was young back then. He's uh, he's still at it, though, broadcasting NFL games for Amazon Prime on Thursday nights. But I read a great piece uh, on this game, history.com. And here's the thing about the Russians. They had won the last four Olympic gold medals in hockey, and they were just so dominant. This is long before the Soviets were allowed to play in the NHL. Think about Vladislav Tretiak, Hall of Fame goaltender. And a lot of Russian players did make the Hockey Hall of Fame without ever having played a game in the NHL. They're, 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 they're I'm trying to find the right word. They're, they're just sublime. And they just were, were incredible players. And Vladislav Tretiak, a famous goaltender, uh, was sort of anchoring their team. And the Soviets, not only had they won the last four gold medals, every time they'd played the United States, it was just an absolute drubbing. The 12 times that they'd played between 1960 and 1980, they'd outscored the Americans 117 to 26. And one of those times was just before the 1980 game started. There was an exhibition game played at Madison Square Garden in New York City, the Mecca, and the USSR beat the Americans to the tune of 10 to 3. So, I mean, nobody really gave the U.S. much of a chance in those Olympics. But, and as a USA's hero in that game, who scored the winning goal, Mike Ruzioni, I knew I was going to trip on his last name, Mike Ruzioni, by the way, his name means eruption in Italian, and he certainly did erupt for that final uh, winning goal. I'll tell you about that in just a second. Nobody really gave him a chance, and he always used to say that we beat some pretty good teams other than the Soviets, too. The, the 1980 Olympic tournament wasn't just one game, and that was the semifinal game. They still had to beat Finland in the gold medal game, which they did. But they had uh, beaten the West German team, which was pretty strong, the Swedes, and they were actually undefeated in their pool play before they met the Soviets. And obviously a lot of the Soviet team would have been NHL players. And this is before back... I might remind you also, long before NHL players were allowed to play in the Olympics, so Team Canada didn't have any NHL players, nor did Team USA at the time. And they were all young. They were all university students, university players. The average age of Team USA was 21 and a half years old. But man, they created together the greatest 
what Sports Illustrated called the greatest sports moment of the 20th century, and it's hard to think of anything that was bigger than this. But again, they were, they were pretty good, and uh, Kevin Allen wrote a book called Star-Spangled Hockey, celebrating 75 years of USA hockey. And he talked about the misconception that they were just kind of a ragtag bunch of guys. The U.S. team was actually hand-selected by the now-famous coach Herb Brooks, and obviously this tournament added to his legend. And he was just coming off an NCAA championship season with the Minnesota Golden Gophers, college hockey. And, and some of his players made it onto Team USA. And a lot of them went on to have great careers in the NHL. So th these were not scrubs. They were young, but what they lacked in experience, they certainly made up for in moxie and confidence, bravado. And for the nation itself, and it's eerie to think about how many parallels there are between 1980 and what was going on in the international landscape and what was going on at home and what's happening in 2023. Think, think about this. When the Lake Placid Olympics opened on February the 13th, 1980, it was day 102 of the Iran hostage crisis. And by the way, if, you're, if you've never seen this movie, if, you're, if you've never seen the movie Argo, uh, which was directed by Ben Affleck, uh, John Goodman's in it, the babe himself, <laughs> um, Brian Cranston, who got famous for Breaking Bad a couple of years ago, but they're all in, in the movie Argo, which came out in 2012. It's an awesome flick at one best picture. There's kind of a, a Canadian connection, too, as to how it's an incredible story about how the hostages were spirited out of Iran. But that was deep when this happened, when the Olympics started, that was that was going on. And there was about 10 years of political scandals that had happened. There were energy crises, economic stagflation. I mean, if you think inflation's bad, you should try stagflation. Plus, the USSR had recently invaded Afghanistan. You know, where have we seen this before? <laughs> it's a bit of an invasion happening now, in case you didn't know. So kind of like today, America was looking for a reason to be confident, to be reminded of the greatness that the country could achieve. And that's why this game was much, much more than just a hockey game. It was also a political showdown. It was an ideological showdown, a lot like the 1972 summit series between Canada and the USSR that happened eight years prior which Canada won. That was also a pretty big deal on the international stage during the Cold War. But at any rate, um, Herb Brooks, let's talk about him for just a second. He, he was a master motivator. And there, there's actually, I haven't seen this. I know, Producer Jim, you probably watched this. There's a movie that came out, I think, in 2004 or five called Miracle. I think it's a Disney movie starring Kurt Russell as Herb Brooks. Have you seen this movie, Jim? Love it. It's one of my favorites. I I, you know, I should watch this tonight. You know, this would be a, so good. A you good will thing. not regret it. I, I got to check it out. I got to check it out. So thanks for that recommendation. Appreciate that. Um, so I don't know if this if Herb Brooks was portrayed this way in the movie. He probably was. But this guy Kevin Allen for his book on USA Hockey, he interviewed all of the key players on the Olympic squad in 1980, the Miracle on Ice team, and they all, to a man, looked back at their time under Coach Herb Brooks. He says they're like soldiers remembering a drill sergeant in basic training. I mean, it was it was a living hell at the time, but they they love him for it now and they appreciate his methods now. But they didn't when they were in the middle of it. In fact, he was almost you know in the words of Kevin Allen, practicing amateur psychology without a license. So here's what they did to prepare them for the Olympics. He took 
the USA squad on a 61-game international barnstorming exhibition tour. And in one particular game in Norway, they, they just played terribly. I don't know if this is in the movie, Jim, but apparently Brooks barged into the locker room and he ordered the players to go back onto the ice after the game. And again, he had a couple of his former players from the University of Minnesota, and they knew exactly what was going to happen. He was going to lead them in a punishing drill known as the Herbies. Now, what are Herbies, named after Herb Brooks? Endless wind sprinting on skates that pushes the players to their absolute physical limit. You know, bag skating, as it's called. And anyway, so they did the Herbies for an hour straight that night, Team USA in Norway. And finally, they learned the message that Coach Herb Brooks wanted to get through to them. He said, quote, this team is not talented enough to win on talent alone, end of quote. I think there's a great spiritual lesson we could get out of that. We're not talented enough to win on talent alone. We're not saintly enough to become saints in our own right. We, we need the grace of God. We really need these. We really need to become spiritual athletes in Lent, don't we? So that we can win the crown, not the Olympic gold medal, but the crown of eternal life. Uh, hey, St. Paul used a lot of athletic metaphors, right? So anyways, one of Herb Brooks, one of the other things he used to do to motivate people was to purposely get his players mad at him. He pushed their buttons and he figured if they all hated him, at least they would come together united as a team. They would rally around the fact that they absolutely couldn't stand their coach. So there's a guy on the team named Rob McClanahan who came from St. Paul, from one of the wealthier suburbs in the St. Paul, Minnesota area. And he used to call Rob a cake eater. You know, like, let them eat cake. This guy is really soft. Mike Ruzione, uh, who was the team captain, he used to dress him down, kind of just bring out all his inadequacies in front of the team. And this would get everybody all riled up. But after they lost to the Soviets in Madison Square Garden in the final tune-up before the Olympics, they lost 10-3. to Jim Craig was the American goalie. And Herb Brooks told him, Coach Brooks told him, he had absolutely made a mistake in choosing him to be the starting American goalie. And he said, you're tired, you've lost your edge, don't think we can win with you. And Jim Craig was absolutely livid when he left the locker room that night. And he was absolutely convinced that he was never going to let Herb Brooks, you know, he didn't want those words to become true. And he had a chip on his shoulder for the Olympics. And he became one of the miracle on ice heroes. And he, he made incredible saves in that upset for the ages that happened on this day in 1980. So when Team USA, this is something else, by the way, that would never happen in this day and age because of social media, because of the Internet. The game actually took place at 5 p.m. Eastern time in Lake Placid, but it wasn't actually broadcast on American television. It was on tape delay until 8 p.m. Eastern because they wanted a bigger audience, of course. So I suppose if people were at the game, they might have phoned their parents or, or friends or whatever to tell them what happened, but people did not know. Most people didn't know until uh, it got on air. So how, how strange is that? 36 million Americans tuned in, by the way, to watch the game. And just like they did in every other match during the Olympics, the U.S. team fell behind early, one nothing. Buzz Schneider tied it up with a slap shot. And then the Soviets scored another goal to go up 2-1. But just with seconds remaining in the first period, Mark Johnson scored on a rebound off of Tretiak. And that really was the turning point of the game because the Soviets got so angry that the Americans were tied with them and they were making a game of it that before the second period started, the Soviet coach actually pulled 
Vladislav Tretiak and put in their second-string goalie, which is unbelievable because that certainly hurt the team. That actually gave even more of a boost to the Americans. They thought, man, we could actually maybe score on this guy. Anyways, the Americans uh, did not score in the second period, and they actually went down 3-2 to two in the third period. The Soviets went ahead, but they tied the score the U.S. did at 3-3 with Johnson's second goal of the night, and Jim Craig was an absolute rock in the American net. He had 36 saves, a 9.23 save percentage, and one of the greatest performances of all time. But everybody remembers, of course, Mike Uruzione, the captain of the team. Herbrooks loved to just use him as a punching bag. Mark Pavlich gave him a perfect pass. He took only his second shot of the night. It was a low, hard wrist shot. It zipped past a kneeling defender, snuck under the Soviet goalie's outstretched pad. Team USA was up 4-3, but there were still 10 minutes left in the game. So they they really, really had to work hard to survive the desperate uh, onslaught from the Soviets. And, and that's when we heard, of course, the play-by-play announcer Al Michaels improvising maybe the most famous call in American sports history. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. And we believe in supernatural miracles as well. Hey, before we go, I, I do want to answer a couple of uh, questions that I know a lot of you guys have about Ash Wednesday. Uh, in the Pillar, which is a, a Catholic journalism outfit, they do so, such great work reporting on the church. Michelle De La Rosa has written kind of a primer on what you can and can't do, what you can and can't eat. Maybe some of you guys haven't had your big meal of the day. And what about this idea that there are these two small snacks that shouldn't add up to a single meal. Is that even actually a thing? Is that actually in canon law? Well, she answers all these questions. Can you eat a Beyond Meat burger? Does that count? Well, here you go. So so here's some, some common questions on Ash Wednesday and fasting uh, from Michelle De La Rosa. Uh, anyway, so she says about this whole idea of the two small meals that combined don't equal the size of a bigger meal. Um... Apparently, it is not in canon law. The Code of Canon Law, this kind of surprised me. I didn't know this. The Code of Canon Law simply says that we're to observe fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And in 1966, Pope Paul VI, in an apostolic constitution, he said this, quote, The law of fasting allows only one full meal a day, but it does not prohibit taking some food in the morning and evening observing as far as quantity and quality are concerned approved local custom end of quote so it's kind of undefined in terms of what else you could eat in the morning and evening now on the united states uh, conference of catholic bishops website the usccb it actually does still talk about the two small meals and not adding up to the size of your one big meal and some people say well let's just have a massive bigger meal no no it's not the spirit it's not the spirit of penance come on um, people ask, can I have drinks between meals? Well, uh, here's what uh, it actually says in canon law. It says that before receiving communion, and this is always the case, that we're to fast from any food and drink except for water and medicine. But when it comes to Lenten fasting, the stipulation on drink doesn't really apply. So you could drink, for example, coffee, tea, uh, but she does give the caution, and I would kind of agree with this, that, okay, if you're, if you're making a protein smoothie and you're just dumping all kinds of things in there, it, it's essentially becoming a meal. So, oh, it's only a drink. So, again, 
Stop looking for loopholes. Try to be a little bit penitential about this. Be as prudent as you can. But if you're if you're super scrupulous about it, um, you, there's no need to worry. There is no law on drinks during Lenten fasting. So there you go. Now, what about what about meat? What about meat? Now we know that we can't have a porterhouse steak, but what about chicken? Well, chicken is meat, so that that counts. Can't do that. You can eat fish though. And you can eat eggs, and you don't have to go completely vegan. Now, some people ask about these Beyond Meat burgers. Uh, what's up with that? Fake meat, the Impossible Whopper, all of that stuff. Well, it's not real meat, so it doesn't come from animals. It's not forbidden. But if your whole point is, I just got to have a burger, maybe, maybe again, is this really in, in, in line with the spirit of the day? I, I don't know. But anyways, uh, hopefully uh, it's been a good spirit being with me on the Kale Clark Show. Timory's coming up next, followed by Father Rocky, the family rosary, Abby Maria. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.